Blog Talk Radio. Well, here we go. The trifecta on Saturdays. Uh, we started out in Pittsburgh, went to Oakland, and now we end up in Seattle. It's a standing above the crowd podcast hosted by my good friend, a brother, a mentor, James Donaldson. Here's truly Mark Mancini producing it out here in Los Angeles. 347-205-9631. Goes by quick, guys. So catch the archive on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Mancini Sports. Podcast platforms, wherever you subscribe to, powered now by Mancini Media. So more of him, less of me, as they lay that red carpet down, put the podium in its place, hand off the mic. First of all, James, how are you? Second of all, how can people get a hold of you? And third of all, man, oh man, I'm going to sit back and listen to this, and I know the listeners are too. Another legend coming through your show. Hey, thanks so much, Mark. It's uh, it's a good morning, and it's been a great week uh, up here in our beautiful Pacific Northwest. So I'm doing fine, and, uh, you know, I really enjoy these uh, podcast interviews we've been doing the last several months. And like you said, another great guest today. They've all been terrific guests, and uh, I'm really, really happy to bring on board one of my former teammates. I'll introduce him in a second, but People can get a hold of me at jamesd at standingabovethecrowd.com. Uh, one of my personal emails comes directly to me. Uh, shoot me comments, uh, good, bad, indifferent, whatever you think about the show, comments, um, uh, suggestions, an upcoming guest you'd like to have interviewed, and we'll reach out to them and get them on board as well. Uh, as we mentioned over the last couple of weeks, we're kind of basketball heavy now because this is the NBA playoffs going on. And uh, without much further ado, I do want to introduce uh, one of my favorite teammates, one of my first teammates uh, that I came into the NBA back in 1980. Uh, and this is a fellow who has just been a professional on and off the court, a Hall of Famer. And you all Sonic fans know, know him and love him as, uh, the banger, number 43, Jack Sigma. Jack, how you doing this morning? And say hello to all of our fans out there. James, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm glad to be on the show and uh, looking forward to uh, reminiscing and, and telling some stories. And, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm always happy to have a chance to uh, reach out to all the Sonic fans that uh, are out there and uh, – Anyway, looking forward to our chat. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, of course, all of our Sonic fans, they still feel very slighted about the fact that we don't have a team in Seattle anymore since, I guess it was 2009, they exited and moved over to Oklahoma City. Um, But, you know, you played back when they won the NBA championship. And I had a great conversation with Coach Wilkins um, a couple months ago. And he was telling me from his coaching perspective, when he took over the team the year before you all won the championship uh, and finished, you know, second to the Washington Bullets in the NBA Finals, came back the next year and beat the Bullets in the Finals. Uh, what are your recollections of those great times and memories? Uh, what was the turnaround point? Uh, you were on that team as a young player. I think you were a rookie the first year. And... Um, what do you recall about those terrific times that turned the Sonics into an NBA world champion? Well, uh, thinking back to that, again, uh, I'm a rookie. I came from a small school. I was just – my goal was just kind of establish a role on that team. Mm-hmm. 
And again, didn't get off to a very good start. Uh, Lenny made some moves as the general manager as far as trades and brought in some young players. Um, Marvin Webster uh, traded for Gus Williams, uh, brought in a uh, via trade Wally Walker and John Johnson. So there was a lot of movement just during mm-hmm. training camp and forth and uh, didn't quite know um, just how it was all going to fall out. But uh, I just remember before Lenny took over for coach, as as our coach, uh, it was just a case of trying to figure out, you know, which mix of players were um, the best to put out there. And Lenny did a little experimenting early once he took over, but uh, it was – it was a case where there was a lot of young players on that team with a few veterans sprinkled in and JJ and uh, Fred and Paul Silas. But uh, us young guys were all just trying to establish ourselves in the league. So it was, it was a pretty intense. uh, I remember having really hard practices, competitive practices. Uh, I think it was really important for us as young players to, be in that kind of environment and you know it, it just started coming together and and from the five and 17 turnaround to basically uh you know i think we ended up fourth in the in the west and then uh beat the lakers upset the trailblazers the defending champions and went on to uh beat phoenix in a tough seven game series uh, excuse me, uh, Denver. It was uh, Denver mm-hmm. beat Denver and to the finals. So uh, it, it it just happened so fast, and it was really uh, uh, I just I don't think I've ever been more focused as a basketball player, just just trying to to establish myself as uh, a position in the league. Yeah. Wow, and establish yourself, you did. I mean, I'm looking at some of your career highlights right now. NBA champion, 1979, seven-time NBA All-Star, NBA All-Defensive second team in 1982, NBA All-Rookie first team in 1978, your jersey's retired, number 43. We've got to talk about that in a second. Your your jersey's (laughs) by the Seattle Supersonics. Now, one of the photos I used to promote this show and you being our guest today was a photo I pulled down from the Internet, and you're wearing jersey number 25. Explain to everybody, because everyone's been asking me all week, why is Jack wearing 25? Explain to us what happened and why. Uh, You know, we were on a road trip, uh, and actually it was to uh, D.C. We were going to play the Bullets, and our trainer, Frank Furtado, who uh, may rest in peace, one of the great people in uh, the history of the Sonic franchise and so important. Anyway, he he was one that, you know, let no detail go by. He was prepared for everything. So he always brought an extra blank jersey, with, which was number 25. And somehow on the airplane or whether it didn't get packed, or whatever, we got to D.C. to play the game, and my my jersey top wasn't there. So, <laughs> anyway, 
so I played that game, and and again, it's twenty five on the front. If 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 the picture showed the back, there's no name whatsoever on it. And then it just oh. so happened that that uh, I don't remember which basketball card company, but uh, they take a, a new photo every year for uh, my basketball card, and they were at that game to take the photo. So there's there's a one year of uh, Sigma. Uh, basketball cards would show me at number 25, and it's the only time, the only game ever that I didn't wear number 43 in the NBA. <laughs> that is amazing. That's funny, but wow. Yeah, you know, these things happen, and, you know, sometimes the players would lose their jerseys or forget them, or it wouldn't be packed, and, and like you mentioned, Frank Furtado, uh, a dear, dear friend who passed away last year about this time uh, was just an iconic trainer and friend to so many of us through those years. Uh, yeah, I understand, but the fans didn't quite know, and I didn't want to explain it myself. I wanted them to hear it from you, why, why you're wearing number 25. So that, that's a great story there. Um, yeah, and so, I, I don't remember how the game went either, so I was glad to get number 43 back. <laughs> okay, good. good. Well, you look best. You look best in 43. Um, now, you, you, you tried your hand at coaching uh, in the NBA for several years uh, with the Rockets and the, and the Timberwolves, I guess. Uh, how, how did that experience go, and are you still interested in doing some coaching? Uh, well, first of all, I started with the Sonics. Uh, Nate McMillan <laughs> was the coach. And uh, I came on as kind of a, a special assistant for uh, a year or so and then um, was able to move to the bench uh, and work for Bob Weiss and uh, Bob Hill as an assistant. And then, of course, the uh, team got sold, a new general manager, uh, and uh, – I had some opportunities to coach elsewhere, and that was a big step for me because it meant uh, from a family, our family standpoint, I didn't want to move the kids who were uh, busy playing basketball themselves and, you know, they grew up in the neighborhood and playing with all their friends and all that kind of stuff. And plus, uh, as you know, with an NBA schedule, even though you're uh, in a town, whether you're in Houston or Minnesota or whatever, you're really gone about 40% of the time. So we figured out a way to make that happen. I really got uh, felt fortunate that after leaving Seattle, I was uh, able to uh, be on the staff of Rick Adelman, who went in the Hall of Fame as a coach this past year, and I was able to be there and well-deserved and really a, a a good coach to learn from and, and so forth. Um, and I had an opportunity to coach Yao Ming, which is a unique mm-hmm. uh, experience also going to Houston. And we, we had a lot of success. Uh, it was a good four years there. Unfortunately, our two stars, um, Yao and uh, Tracy McGrady, uh, during those years, had some problems injury-wise, and uh, yeah. Yao having to retire because of it with with his foot. He just kept breaking bones, and, you know, he's a big guy, and uh, there was an issue there, and, uh, you know, you, you're trying to favor it or not favor it and whatever, but 
uh, uh, he, it, it turned out to be a great experience, um, and we had a lot of success there. And then um, after they made a change in Houston, uh, it, it was the lockout year, um, Rick got hired in Minnesota. So I went there for three years, and uh, we had a good young team. And, and again, um, off to a great start, and then Ricky Rubio is a rookie, blew out his knee. Mm. And Kevin Love broke his hand, and you know it's just injuries. These types of things happen in the NBA, and it can really derail um, your opportunities. But anyway, it was a great experience. I loved working for uh, Coach Adelman. After that, I was able to do a little consulting. I uh, stayed connected with the Houston franchise, did some scouting for him, and, and uh, worked with Clint Capella in uh, D League. Yeah. He was just got drafted, and, and uh, you know, he's just – I'm so proud of him. He's established himself so well in the league. And then I got hired by um, Toronto to mentor uh, Jonas Valanciunas, who uh, I really uh, got to know really well. And uh, he's, he's uh, had a, a really good career, uh, but I was involved with – Toronto as as a consultant there, and actually my last year with them was the year they won the championship. So, I I got another ring, and uh, but anyway, it, it, I was really happy for that franchise and for the the fans up in Toronto. They're they're great fans, and um, yeah, again, um, had a chance to uh, be involved there. And then uh, I I was taking a year off, and then COVID hit. So. You know, um, I, I'd like to stay involved with basketball, but I don't know uh, if it would have been uh, very easy to do with all the dealings with COVID. So we'll let things settle out. Uh, looks like the NBA had a great year this year, and the playoffs are very competitive with the eight teams left. I, I think uh, – uh, all the series are two one, two one right now. So um, anyway, uh, it, it's um, I'm hopeful uh, that I can stay involved in the league one way or another, um, and I'm hopeful that uh, that could happen here in Seattle someday. Uh, I have no idea when to get a franchise back, but it would be great to do that and and have some small part being involved with the team that would be great wonderful yeah well and speaking of seattle you know we lost our team back in 2009 and uh i'm always i've been hopeful and optimistic in the next three to five years i keep saying every three to five years i say that i'm still saying it three to five years uh what are your thoughts on the nba coming back to seattle eventually well, if they do expand, I, I, I think it's a slam dunk that they have to come back to Seattle. They'll come back to Seattle. Uh, I don't know about any kind of uh, team movements, but I do know, uh, I do believe that uh, a team back in Seattle uh, 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 would would be. Uh, welcomed by the league and the other ownerships because Seattle has a big enough town, enough money here, whatever, to support the team and, and uh, be a positive for the league. So, uh, and again, there's a, 
the existing arena um, uh, climate pledge. Uh, there's some other, you know, people out there with uh, uh, arena ideas. I mean, it's it's more of a case of, you know, when the NBA decides uh, it's time to put something back here in Seattle. Um, Seattle's ready. There's there's uh, no reason. Uh, or to hold up because something's not happening in Seattle. It's just a case of when it seems right for the NBA. So hopefully they they come to their senses soon and uh, put something together so that we can have a team back here in Seattle. Because you know it's it's starting to be let's 2009, it's 13 years. You're starting to get to the point where uh, there's a whole generation of people who just haven't experienced. Yeah, a hometown NBA team, and it's time to get one back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, there is talk occasionally of expansion, especially Las Vegas, Seattle. Seattle still has a real rabid and avid fan base here. For 42 years, we had an NBA team. They support that team nonstop. They still support the Sonics coming back. Uh, I'm part of at least a dozen Seattle bring our Sonic back fan base pages on Facebook and social media. So I see all the chatter and the talk all the time. They, we really would love to have our team back. So hopefully it's sooner than later. And uh, we're still both in our working career years that we could actually go and do some work with the team. That'd be great. Uh, Hey, I got a, a question from someone here from New Jersey. I believe Lou from New Jersey. He's asking, who was your mentor when you were growing up and the toughest competition in the league that you played against? Well, mentors, uh, again, I, I, I can't credit my parents enough. I, I had the, the most supportive, stable upbringing, um, and they, they believed in me and uh, encouraged me to – you know, chase my dreams. So it starts there. I had good coaches along the way um, from high school, college. Uh, you know, I learned the Sigma move from my my uh, college coach, Dennis Bridges at Illinois Wesleyan, which uh, I needed to develop a post move. And it, it was different uh, than, hmm. than most, but it sure worked for my skill set. So, and, and then I, you know, it, I carried it into the, the NBA. Uh, when I first got to the NBA, I was fortunate to play with Paul Silas, who was uh, near the end of his career, but he had won a um, championship in uh, uh, Boston, and uh, yeah. he really he he really uh, challenged me and, and taught me how to you know play big in the league. It was a it, you know it's physical and. And uh, you got to be ready for that. And uh, when I first came in, I was playing the four more than the five, though a little bit at the five. And uh, I was about, oh, I think it was 235 or something like that. And then the next year I, I moved to uh, playing predominantly at the center position and, you know, put on a few more pounds. But you, you, back then, you you know, you had a body your guy. And uh, there was uh, a much more of a physicality to the league, the freedom of movement, uh, 
rules weren't in place yet, and so there was more banging going on. And uh, so he, he, he was a huge mentor. I mentioned that in my Hall of Fame speech, how, uh, you know, the first couple years in the league when I was able to be on a team that made it to the finals both times and win it once and all those extra playoff games under that pressure and, and so forth, I mean, uh, I couldn't help but improve. You know, I, I, the experience I had there was really so important to to launching my career and uh, just feel, really feel fortunate to have had that experience early in my career. I wish I could have had the experience more often getting to the finals. But anyway, the fact that it happened so early, I think, was great for me. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And, yeah. And, 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 go ahead. The go second ahead. part of the question is, you know, there was a lot of, as you know, James, there was a lot of great five men in the league when when I came in and then you came in from uh, Moses and Kareem and Parrish and Lanier and Gilmore and uh, um, Walton and you know he'd go go on and on. Dan Issel trying to guard him out in the out in the perimeter. Uh, there, there was, there was just every night you had to come with it. And uh, back then, you know, everybody kind of handled their own men. They're, they weren't double teaming and that kind of thing. You just had to pay the price and and battle all game through. Uh, I think the top uh, top two for me though were for different reasons. Kareem with that sky look, there wasn't a lot you could do once he got into his motion. And then uh, yeah. Moses was so, so tenacious. Jeez, he was just yeah. so tenacious and competitive. <laughs> and, uh, but there were so many uh, really good big guys in the league back then. Yeah, that, that, absolutely. I mean, you're bringing back all these memories and flashbacks for <laughs> me too. Uh, <laughs> I remember when, you know, I was playing with you as a teammate. We played against the Rockets, uh, Houston, in the playoffs. And Moses went off for like 38 points and 32 rebounds and just tore both of us up. You know, we were both, you know, tagging in and out of the game trying to stop this guy and we couldn't do anything with him. But Moses was a monster, but uh, that, that's great memories like that. Now, do you ever chime in to these uh, GOAT uh, greatest of all time conversations that are going on? And if you do, who would you consider the GOAT? Well, uh, uh, you know, you you can you can go from, you know, my earliest recollection was always uh, Russell, uh, Bill Russell versus Will Chamberlain, you know, and uh, the success of Russell and the Celtics teams. Uh, you, you you could start there. Uh, um, I mean, Kareem has to be in the discussion. Uh, of course, Michael Jordan probably is the answer most people give. LeBron has had a heck of a career and uh, been to the finals so many times. Uh, but I think impact in the league, i got to go with Jordan, uh, Michael Jordan. Um, uh, I think the Magic Bird uh, rivalry uh, in the 80s helped uh, the NBA uh, take a, a few steps up, and then uh, when Michael got here, it really 
expanded. Corporate America started to take notice. I think there was more female fans started to be uh, follow the NBA. Um, and uh, I think, uh, you know, he, he really uh, kind of helped the league just take off. And other than maybe these COVID years, the, the league hasn't taken a step back since then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Let's talk a little bit of old school, new school basketball. Uh, back in our day, you know, the 80s and 90s and the, the, the NBA nowadays, what are some of the differences, the similarities uh, between those two different eras that you see? Well, I think the, uh, one of the major differences is just spacing on the court and, again, uh, the use of the three-pointer uh, really started to come into vogue. You know, it, I think 79, the year we won it, was the first year of the NBA three-pointer. Of course, the ABA had it um, for, for years before the um, they came aboard in the NBA, before the merger. Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, they also changed the rules about uh, what you could do in the post. And uh, I blame Shaq for it because he was just so strong and dominating when he came in the league. But where now he can arm bar and, and really uh, leverage against the, uh, anybody with their back to the basket in the post, which uh, I think it uh, took away uh, guys being able to be effective in the post. Um, and, uh, uh, and again, I think it's more spacing and, and, and uh, where – and you, you know, playing for Lenny, Lenny had a system where we had plays and reads and cuts and um, yep. you know, split game and all this kind of stuff. And you just don't see that anymore. It's more draw and kick, try to beat somebody off the dribble. Uh, I will say, uh, uh, you know, uh, Coach Adelman, who I played for, really was still one of the last systems guys where they, you know, he, he ran uh, the bigs. Uh, from the time um, with uh, Devoch and Chris Weber and Brad Miller off the elbows, and now you see it with Jokic uh, in uh, Denver, where there are some reads and react type situations. But it it's really, I, I, I mean, beating people off the dribble is um, is a skill that you you almost have to. You have to have yeah. to survive the league. Again, it doesn't hurt to be a, a great shooter. That's important too. But um, you know, um, it's it's really the spacing of the court, and you're not you don't see much playing playing through the post. And if you do see playing through the post, it's not always the big guy. It's it, it can be any matchup in which uh, uh, a coach sees an opportunity. Absolutely, yeah. Well, hey, Jack, we got about a minute and a half left, about a minute for the last question to answer. Uh, what's life like now for Jack Sigma? What are you doing to keep busy, your business interests, the family? I know you're still in the Seattle area. Give us a good minute or so of that. Okay. Uh, my wife's a residential real estate agent here in town, and I got my license while I was doing uh, some consulting in Toronto. I, I did it online. So I'm, I'm – uh, I'll quote her assistant, which I've kind of been my whole life. So uh, 
uh, I help her with that. I love to play golf. Uh, I was involved with uh, uh, the building uh, of the Aldera Golf Course out towards Fall City and love playing there. Uh, uh, have a, our, our middle son, uh, Luke, is still playing in Europe. He plays for Alba Berlin, so I watch some, his ball games. Uh, and uh, just family, family stuff. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, working, but not working too hard and, and making sure I have some time to enjoy, uh, what I like to do. And, uh, so it's all good. That's really great. Yeah. And that, and that's really what it's all about. I mean, we've worked so long and hard to get to this point in life. Uh, we got, we got to enjoy it. And, uh, cause you never know, uh, well, hey, you know, I tell folks all the time, I could not have broken in with a better NBA situation than I did with the Seattle Supersonics. Uh, I joined the team in 1980, and uh, you guys, you know, a nice mix of veterans and young guys, you and JJ and Fred and Gus, and, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Lonnie, Lonnie Shelton, uh, I, I just fit right in. Uh, you guys kept me going and worked me hard. You didn't destroy my confidence and uh, playing and banging against you every day in practice really, really helped me to learn the NBA game. So I really thank you so much for that opportunity. And um, yeah, it's just, it just worked out great. So uh, I'm going to wrap up the show now, but I really want to say thank you so much, Jack, for being our guest today. Uh, folks out there listening, this is James Donaldson every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Standing Above the Crowd podcast. And we bring you guest after guest, just like Jack today. Tune in to us next week and have a fantastic week. Thanks so much, Jack. We'll catch up soon, okay? Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.